You know, sometimes there is just complications, uh, you know, with the sound system and stuff like that, and that happens. Um, I, I was sitting there and I was thinking, you know, it, it seems like this is the case. It seems like wherever God wants to work and do something, the devil's going to get in there. Um, you know, if the devil's not... If the devil's not fired up and mad, then, then you're probably not doing something for the Lord. And uh, it, just, it just is the way it is. And so, um, you know, just understand that. And, uh, and that happens sometimes. But I uh, appreciate those folks. appreciate that special. I, I, got a, I brought a joke for you this morning. And I don't bring a lot of jokes. This joke actually suits me well because this is why I don't bring jokes. Uh, but I got it all written down. So a preacher... Uh, who, who we shall say was humor-inspired. That's really what I was. Uh, attended a conference. That's what I did. I went to a conference, and I heard these preachers speak, and uh, uh, they were just, they were excellent preachers, to be honest with you. And uh, there was many well-known and dynamic preachers. And uh, one speaker, this didn't happen, but this really does kind of fit me. He said, one speaker boldly approached the pulpit gathered the entire crowd's attention and said, the best years of my life were spent in the arms of a woman that wasn't my wife. All the, all the crowd gasped. And, uh, and the crowd was just shocked. And he followed up by saying, and that woman was my mother. Yeah. <laughs> and the crowd burst into laughter and delivered the rest of the speech. And it went quite well. And and the next week, the, the pastor that attended this conference, he decided to give this humor thing a try. And so he, he thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this joke uh, to, the, to, the, to the pulpit on Sunday. And so he approached the pulpit, and, and uh, he tried to rehearse his joke. And it was a little bit foggy. He didn't remember it all. And so he got to the microphone, and, and he loudly announced, the greatest years of my life were spent in the arms of another woman that was not my wife, he said. The congregation inhaled, and they were shocked and stunned, just as the other congregation was. And after standing there for almost 10 seconds in stunned silence, he said, I can't remember who she was. <laughs> that's, that's me. That's why I don't tell jokes, to be honest with you, because I, I got the joke, and then I get to the punchline. I'm like, what was that punchline? And it uh, doesn't always go off right, and so I'm... I don't usually tell a whole lot of jokes, but uh, I like jokes. I like to laugh. There's nothing wrong with laughing, but, uh, uh, but I, I don't know that I'm the greatest joke teller in the world. So uh, it is what it is. Numbers chapter number two. Numbers chapter number two. And I want to preach this morning on the standard. To be honest with you, uh, when, I, when I saw this in the scripture, I, I was reading through my Bible. And, and you know how when you read through your Bible, and let me encourage you all to be reading through your Bible. We encourage you to do that. And uh, through, the, uh, the, through the course of a year, it's good to read through the Bible. Now, uh, there will not be a quiz at the end of the year, okay? We're not going to say, hey, what, did, uh, uh, what, what took place in this chapter, in, in Ezekiel chapter uh, 45? You know, we're, we're not going to do that. We don't expect you to get it all all the way through. I don't get it all, all the way through. But I tell you what, after years of reading it over and over and over again, things just kind of jump off the page at you. And uh, it's like, well, God really speaks to your heart. And that's what we want. That's what we want to encourage you to do. Read through your Bible to get something from the Lord. And I was reading through my Bible and, and a verse jumped off my page and it mentioned the standard. 
And, and I thought, well, that's interesting. And, and I don't remember seeing that. And I know I've read it, but I, I didn't remember seeing that. So I thought, I'm going to study that. And, and uh, the more I studied, when I first thought and when I read it, and the first thought that hit me was uh, really one thing. But the more I got to studying it, uh, it was like the Lord took it a whole different direction. And so I want to preach this morning on the standard, though that was not my original thought uh, of what the verse was about, but uh, we're going to go back to Numbers, chapter number 2. The word standard uh, or standards or standard bearer is only used uh, collectively 22 times in Scripture, so it's not used that frequently. And the word standard means this, an ensign of war, a staff with a flag or colors. And so the standard would be the staff and the flag, all right? So we tend to think of standards uh, many times as other things, but in this case of what we're looking at, it actually is the, the flag staff and the flag. And it's quite interesting to see how it's used in Scripture. We're in the book of Numbers, chapter number 2. And uh, before the book of Numbers, you go back with me just in your minds. And, in, and before Numbers is, of course, Leviticus, the book of all the laws that was given to the nation of Israel. But before that was the book of Exodus. Now, in the book of Exodus is an exciting storybook. I love to read the book of Exodus, to be honest with you. Uh, I love to read about the nation of Israel coming out of slavery. It's just a phenomenal chapter filled with God working. And, and you come to the end of the book of Exodus, and, uh, and Leviticus is there, of course, uh, to give all the laws to the nation of Israel. But as you get through that and you get to the first chapter of the book of Numbers, you'll find that it was given in the second month, uh, the first day of the second month, after the nation of Israel had departed out of Egypt. And uh, it says that right in the opening verse of Numbers 1.1. So you find that it, it really was not that long after they had departed out of Egypt, out of slavery. God had done a tremendous miracle. Now I want you to think back with me. As the nation of Israel had gone into Egypt, who were they? Who, well, if you think about this, the nation of Israel, when they went into captivity... You remember Joseph, of course, he was sold by his brothers into uh, slavery, and, and God has a tremendous story throughout the book of Genesis and pertaining to the life of Joseph and how uh, towards the end of the book, he is actually elevated to the highest man in the kingdom, and uh, God had used Joseph in that position to preserve. There was a great drought in all of that area, and the Israelites had no food. That would be Joseph's family. Uh, that would be Jacob, his father, whose name was changed to Israel, and his brethren. Now, if I remember correctly, there was about uh, 12 brethren or, uh, and a sister or something of that nature. And so there was a large family. But if you think about it like that, it really was just a large family gathering that had gone up to Egypt uh, to gather food. I mean, uh, we think of, uh, you know, some, some people have large families. People look at me and they're like, you six kids, you got a large family. And uh, I guess, you know, it might be large for today. It wasn't large for Bible times. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, you kind of look at a large family gathering. I remember my family used to get together and, and uh, when my grandfather was alive and they would have a big 
family get-togethers, and man, your cousins, your aunts, and your uncles, and even all of that, you know, sometimes you might have 50 or uh, 70 people, I don't know what your biggest family gathering was, but if you picture that, 50, 70, maybe 100 people that had come to Egypt, that was their family. I mean, that was his brothers, that was his, uh, his, his nieces and his nephews that had come to Egypt for that food. And over the course of 400 years that they were, uh, that they were in Egypt, in slavery, uh, the nation had increased phenomenally. We're no longer talking about a family get-together where everybody knew everybody. We're talking about uh, the book of Numbers actually gives them to us as pertains to the name of the book of Numbers. We find that there was actually 603,550 men from the age of 20 and up who were able to go to war. We're talking about over a half a million young men that are 20 and older who are able to go to war. That could eat, and they left out the tribe because they were priests. They were not to go to war. And so you're talking about a very significant number of people. Matter of fact, you could easily calculate and easily guess uh, that there, if there was one woman for every man, uh, then roughly you're talking about well over a million people at this point. Now you take that and you go back to the book of Exodus. You go back to the crossing of the Red Sea. It kind of amazes me, to be honest with you. I heard a preacher say it years ago that, uh, that he had calculated how many people, and I thought, I wonder how he did that. And, and, uh, and we had discussed, and he had, I don't even remember the number he threw out, but it was large like that. And now I see where he got it from. He got it from the book of Numbers. Uh, well over, well, easily, a million people that would have crossed that Red Sea. We're not talking about a family gathering of 50 or 100 people. We're talking about a million people. Walking across that Red Sea, imagine that. God did that. But after they got to the other side of the Red Sea, it was important for them and for God to organize the nation of Israel. They've been in slavery. They've been in captivity for 400 years. These guys grew up in slavery. They didn't know what it was like to not be a slave. They didn't know what it was like to not be in captivity. And now they are free, and now they are on the other side, and God is going to help them to organize how they are to live their lives. And God is a God of order, and He's a God of detail. Look with me in Numbers chapter number 2 and verse number 1. The Bible says this, And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Every man of the children of Israel shall pitch by his own standard, that would be the flag, with the ensign of their father's house. Far off about the tabernacle of the congregation shall they pitch. And on the east side toward the rising of the sun shall they of the standard of the camp of Judah pitch throughout their armies. And Nashon, the son of Amminah, Aminadab shall be captain of the children of Judah. And his host and those that were numbered of them were threescore and fourteen thousand and six hundred. And those that do pitch next unto him shall be the tribe of Issachar and Nethaniel, the son of Zuar, shall be captain of the children of Issachar. Let's stop there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. 
God, I pray that you'd use me this morning. God, I pray that you would speak through me as we look at this idea of the standard that you have placed in your word. And God, may we, uh, may we come to realize and understand it's important in our own lives, Father, in 2021. And God, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me. God, I pray that you would touch hearts as only you can. And we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at this idea of the standard, and, uh, and you can see there, as we read this passage, now, uh, I've, I've invested a lot of time just reading over this and, and studying all this, and, and so I'm going to try and give it to you uh, as best I can so that it's simplified and easy to understand. I want you to understand that here... Given all the introduction, that God has brought them to this point and that they had to be organized. They were unorganized before this. They, they, they lived a life that was controlled by other things and now they have been liberated. That's a great picture of salvation. But they needed uh, some organization in their life and God was going to help them to accomplish that and we can find that God set up the standard here uh, and here are some of the benefits and purpose of this standard. And as I mentioned, the standard is simply a flat. Now he's giving them the organization for how they are to set up their nation. And God is a God of order. And so what the first thing that he establishes is that, hey, the tabernacle is to be set in the middle of the camp. And I want you to kind of imagine uh, as the tabernacle would be set up, the Levites would be camped around that tabernacle. And that was the very center of the camp. As he goes down, he names all the 12 tribes there. And, uh, and, and in verse 3, we see that Judah was to be set on the east side. Uh, in verse number 3, it mentions that. And underneath that, I think it's in verse number 4 that we read, or 5, it says Issachar and Zebulun were to be with him. So on the east side, then you would have Issachar and Zebulun that would be placed on that side. After that, he goes down in verse number 10 and he says Reuben is to be placed on the south side. And with Reuben is to be Simeon and Gad. He mentions that in verse number 10. He said on the west side of the tabernacle that, uh, that Ephraim is to be set up there and he's to raise that standard on the west side and Manasseh and Benjamin are to be set up with him there. Then finally, Dan, uh, the tribe, will be placed to the north. In verse number 25, he mentions that. And Asher and Naphtali were to be uh, placed with Dan. So I want you to picture uh, it as an aerial view, all right? Picture that we got a drone in the Old Testament. We're going to fly that thing over top of that, and we're going to take a picture, an aerial view. The tabernacle is set in the very center. Judah is set off to the east. Reuben is set to the south. Ephraim is set to the west. And Dan is set to the north. And each one of those, uh, they have their own distinctive standard or flag that they have risen, that they have, uh, that they have placed on high so that it would be visible throughout the camp. you got the tabernacle in the center, and they were to leave some space. They were not to crowd the tabernacle, but leave the holy place of God a little bit of space uh, so that people could come into the tabernacle and go out. And as you're in the camp, you would look around and you would see the various uh, flags that would stand. Hey, that's to the north, and that's to the east, and that's to the west, and that's to the, uh, to the, to the south and west. And, uh, and you would know where each of those flags are. And so if you're, uh, you would be able to see that. And I want you to notice this, that God was very detailed in how they were to set all of that up. 
And that standard stands for the arrangement or the order that God brought to the nation of Israel. It was a phenomenal order. Matter of fact, if you were to walk by, if you were from another country or another nation, and you would walk by, you'd say, man, they've got themselves organized. They've got the flags raised. They know uh, they've got a flag for the north, a flag for the east, a flag for the south, a flag for the west. They've got it all set up. And it stands for the arrangement. Not only that, the standard as it was set up here, it also stands for the association. Each of these flags would represent a group of families. In other words, Dan's family uh, that was to the, I forgot already, was to the north. He was set up in the north. And, and all of his children, there were two other tribes that were with him. Uh, listen, if their kids went throughout the camp and they went playing, all they would have to turn around and do is look for that flag. Ah, that's our flag. They would know how to get back to their, uh, to their camp, to their place, uh, because it was an association, and that, was, that stood for their family. And, uh, and probably each section may have started doing some things a little bit different. You know, it's kind of interesting when you isolate people, uh, maybe not isolate, but when you start to separate people, uh, they tend to do things a little different. Uh, you ever wonder why we speak English, England speaks English, Australia speaks English, but they're all a little bit different? You ever heard somebody from English talk? talk? We used to, uh, people all the time as we lived in a foreign culture, uh, would come up to us and they'd want to speak English. I hated it. I'd rather speak Spanish with you than speak English when you're trying to learn English. But we would humor them. And, uh, And it was always three phrases. Hi, what is your name? That's what they would say. How are you? And that's what they would say. I mean, those are the, they were the standard phrases. But occasionally, if they got a little bit further, no, further learning, uh, sometimes it was funny because they would be learning British English. And, uh, and so they would say, uh, well, that's rubbish. I'm like, no, that's trash. And they're like, oh, well, that's what my school said. And your school's not wrong if you're in England, but I'm American. And we say trash. We don't say rubbish. And, and so when you start to divide people, they start to do things a little bit different. That's really how the English language rolled. And that's really how uh, the development and the change of our language uh, has come about. And you take America even, for example. Uh, people from down south, they say, y'all. You know, and there's different uh, things of speech that are indicative. I, my dad was in the Air Force my whole life, so I grew up traveling all over America. And, and uh, I don't know what half the proper speech for the right place is most of the time. Matter of fact, I know even here in Ohio, we're very distinct, and I don't know which one is right, pop or soda. You guys know. I don't remember. So I'm always careful. I just say soda pop. I do know this. Down south, they call it a Coke, so I don't call it a Coke. You want a Coke? You want a, a root beer Coke or an orange Coke? or uh, I want a soda pop. Want to give me a, you know, something different. And, uh, and so there's those distinctions because why? Because we're just separated by space. And perhaps in, in this, this uh, camp, they started doing things a little bit different. And uh, maybe, you know, in the south, uh, they, maybe Reuben, uh, he figured out, man, how to fry foods in oil. And he came up with some good old fried food being in the south. 
Maybe Ephraim was one of the, uh, the first to be on top of the technology and he developed uh, ink, you know, in, in Bible times and uh, he was out west. And I don't know, but I do know this, that they were associated. And, and you know, when you get together with family, there's nobody quite like family because they know uh, what you do. You know, you're, you're family. You do stuff the same. I remember family get-togethers. My grandmother, I, to this day, I don't know what it was. She would make what we would call pink stuff. I don't know what it is. I really don't. I just know it's sweet, and it's cold, and it's good. Uh, and, and so we would eat that stuff, and we always looked forward to my grandmother's pink stuff. It was an association. So the standard stands for an association. The standard also stands for uh, not just an arrangement of order, and not just an association, but also an assembly. The flag made it easy to see where to go. You know, flags were used in wartime. Before we had radio, before we had communication devices, it was flags that would be raised up, and uh, and you would raise the flag, and and that side, that division, that army would know to rally around that flag to that point. That's where their commander was, and so it was a point of assembly, and uh, and of course the enemies would. The nation of Israel say, man, they are very, agree- they're very uh, ordered and they know what's going on. And so it would be an intimidation for those around them. Lastly, in this passage that we can see, I want you to notice that it was probably a symbol of agreement. You would have to agree that they had to live in a certain amount of agreement. They might not have agreed on everything, but there were a lot of things that they would agree on. And so that flag would be a symbol of agreement, association, uh, arrangement, and assembly. That's what this flag stood for in the camp of the Israelites. Go with me now to, uh, uh, to Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah 49 and verse number 22. Isaiah 49, 22. We see the setup of the flag. We see what it stood for. We see how the nation of Israel was very well organized. I want you to see this in Isaiah chapter 49 and verse number 22. The Bible says this. Isaiah 49 and verse 22. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up mine hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people, and they shall bring thy sons in their arms, and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders, and the kings shall be thy nursing, nursing fathers, and the queens thy nursing mothers, and they shall bow down to thee with their face toward the earth, and lick the dust of my feet, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord, and they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. And so we find here in verse 22 and 23 makes it very clear and very evident that the standard that is being lifted up is God Himself. And He says, listen, I will raise up a standard. 
In other words, hey, I'm going to exalt something uh, that everyone is to look to. And as I read that, uh, of course, I was reminded of John chapter number 3 and verse number 14 where the Bible says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And when we go back to the Old Testament, Numbers, how God instituted and set up the standard throughout the camp of Israel. Hey, it was pointing forward to the Savior that would be lifted up and would be the standard for all Christians. And listen, what Jesus does for our our life is the same thing that that standard did in the Old Testament for that camp and that nation of Israel. And that is, listen, as we think about that standard, it is an arrangement of order. And Jesus brings to true order a disordered life. Hey, it's a picture of the Old Testament of salvation as the nation of Israel came out of Egypt and out of captivity and the bondage. Listen, that's like the bondage of sin. And they were saved as they were brought through uh, the Red Sea and it is a picture of that. And then God immediately right after that established order in their life and said, listen, here's how I want you to arrange your camp. And I want God to be the very center Listen, when you get saved, God wants to be the center of your life. He wants to arrange your life so that it looks beautiful, so that it's orderly, and so that it makes sense to everyone around you. God wants a standard to be raised in our life that would be a standard of order. He says in Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He clearly established that He is to have first place in our life. He is to have the center. He is to occupy the very center part. And then after that, hey, that there is to be order in our life. There's an arrangement of order. And Jesus brings order to some of the most disorderly lives. And some of the most confused people on the face of the earth, Jesus brings an arrangement. Not only that, but there is an association with that standard of Jesus. And the Bible says in Romans 6, 4, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. I'm glad that when I got saved, when I was born again, that listen a new association. I, I've, I've mentioned this before. My parents were Air Force my whole life. But you know what? Everywhere we went, my parents were, were faithful to get into a good Baptist church. And every time we did, I'm telling you, those people became like family to us. Why? It was an association. It was an association that was knit together by Jesus Christ. One of the greatest things that I had, to, that I, I was able to do as a missionary when we traveled. Uh, I, I loved it when we would go to different churches and I walk in a complete stranger to this church and I don't know them and they don't know me and I walk into that place and I tell you what, I start to sense a, a spirit of com- camaraderie, a spirit of brotherhood and there's an association that says these people are Christian. And that's a blessing to have an association around Jesus Christ. Listen, He associates other Christians and brings them together. Not only does uh, we find that association that should be there, but I want you to tell you this, uh, that listen, Jesus provides an assembly for us as well. Hey, why, why are we here this morning? 
why are we in church? I don't know why you're here. But I can tell you this, the reason that we open these doors, the reason that we flip these lights on, the reason that we pay the electric bill and pay the water bill and do what we do is because we want to rally around Jesus Christ. We want to assemble here for Him. That's why we do that. Hey, He is a point of assembly. And the Bible does say uh, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together together. as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And listen, the last part of that verse says, and so much more as you see the day approaching. What day is it talking about? It's talking about the end times. Listen, my friend, there's so many people, they're cutting back and they want to do less and they want to have less and they want to do even less services and this and that. Listen, the Bible says you ought to do more as you see that day approaching. When the darkness is coming, hey, light a few more matches. Let the light shine a little brighter. Do a little bit more for the Lord because that day is coming. There's no one that's going to doubt, hey, we're living in the end times. You look around the darkness that is around us, the wickedness that is flooding our earth and and all that is taking a place. Let us assemble around the Lord Jesus Christ. The standard was raised. It was a point of assembly. It was a point of agreement. Listen, Jesus wants to bring us into agreement. He says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 2, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Listen, we're all, we all come from different backgrounds. We all come from different places. But as we draw closer to the Lord Jesus Christ, may we draw closer to one another. May we have the same mindset. I used to tell them in Peru all the time, I'm from America. You weren't raised like I was. I wasn't raised like you are. I don't understand your life. You don't understand my life. But as we draw closer to the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how we were raised. It doesn't matter what our culture is. It doesn't matter what our upbringing is. As we draw closer to Him, we will get closer to one another. And we'll have an agreement of mind. The Savior is the standard that was raised. He brings us arrangement. That would be order. He brings us association. That would be family. Those that are born again. He brings us assembly. He brings us into agreement. There's one more verse that I would like us to see. In Isaiah, you're in Isaiah. Go to chapter 10 and verse number 18. Isaiah chapter number 10 and verse number 18. We don't have time to get into this entire passage, but I do want you to see this, and I'll give you the layout of what is going on in this passage. Isaiah chapter 10 and verse number 18. 10, 18, the Bible says this, And shall consume the glory of his forest and his fruitful field, both soul and body, and they shall be as when a standard bearer fainteth. Now, what is this verse talking about? In Isaiah chapter 10, we've stepped into the middle of a, of a judgment that is going on in this chapter. And in verse number 16, you can see the source of the judgment. That's the Lord. You can see the sickness of the judgment. That's the leanness that they had. You can see the scorching. And that's the fire that they gave. And in verse 17, you can see the speed. It was all in one day that it would take place that God was pronouncing judgment on the Assyrians for what they had done. In verse 18, you can see the smiting that takes place and their concern and there's very little left, the Bible says, it would be as a forest that would burn down and there'd be very few trees left standing in that forest. 
And he said, it would be as the standard bearer that fainteth. This is the only place in the Bible the word standard bearer is used. And that standard bearer is somebody that would carry that flag. In the soldier days and in the times of armies, uh, the standard bearer was a very honored position. It was somebody that would carry that standard uh, with a great pride. And, and often, they would be the first one to charge into battle. And, and listen, they would be the first one under fire. They're holding that flag and they are charging. Why? Because if they don't charge, the troops are not going to charge. But if they carry that standard into battle, hey, those troops are going to rally behind them and they're going to follow that standard into war. The Bible's telling us that in this day, it'll be as though the standard bearer fainteth. In the day of judgment, when everything, it's like there is no standard bearer. There's nobody to carry, to rally the troops. And that's what it's saying, is that they would all fall away. And the Bible would, Jesus would advise us in John chapter 9 and verse number 4. He said, I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Listen, we wouldn't argue that we're in the last days. We wouldn't argue that the night is coming. May we bear the standard as no one else would bear it before us because we're heading into darkness. Hey, and we, we, there's time when we can't work, but there's a time that, uh, that it'll be all done and we won't be able to. The Bible says in Isaiah 62 and verse number 10, you can just mark it down. He says, go through, go through the gates, prepare ye the way of the people, cast up, cast up the highway, gather out the stones, lift up a standard for the people. Listen, we have a responsibility to raise the standard. The standard is not you and I. The standard is not Anchor Baptist Church, though I love Anchor Baptist Church. The standard is Jesus Christ, that we are to point people to Jesus Christ and let them know that He is the one that can bring order to their life. He is the one that wants to arrange their life so they live in a very fashion. He is the one that wants to bring association so that they can be associated with a greater purpose, a higher calling in their life of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one uh, that wants to bring uh, the, uh, the assembly and that they can have a place to rally around. He is the one that wants to bring people into agreement in the mind of Christ and to live for Christ. That's what Jesus wants to do for the world. Will you be a standard bearer? that would grab the standard and lift it up high and carry it proudly out into the dark enemy lines where those who know not Christ might not be happy about the standard that we're bearing, Jesus Christ, but yet they need to see the standard. They need to know that Jesus Christ is the one. The Bible, or the, the, in, in historical times, in the Civil War, I was reading this about the standard bearer. And it said this, Civil War armies, both Union and Confederate, tended to be organized as regiments from particular states, and soldiers tended to feel their first loyalty toward their regiment. So they would have an, uh, perhaps an Ohio State regiment, and they would carry perhaps the Ohio State flag, and you would recognize that as an Ohioan saying, that's our flag. And soldiers strongly believed they represented their home uh, state or even their local region in the state, and much of the morale of the Civil War units was focused on that pride, and a state regiment typically carried its own flag into battle. 
Soldiers took a great deal of pride in those flags and the regimental battles. Uh, battle flags were always treated with great reverence. At times, the ceremonies would be held in which the flags were paraded in front of men. While these parade ground ceremonies tended to be symbolic events designed to instill and reinforce the morale, there was also a very practical purpose, which was making sure that every man could recognize the regimental flag. The regimental flag generally in the middle of the capture, uh, or with the regimental flag generally in the middle of fighting, there was always the possibility that a flag could be captured to a Civil War soldier. The loss of regimental flag was a colossal disgrace, and the entire regiment would feel ashamed if the flag was captured and carried away by the enemy. Listen, may we bear the standard of Jesus Christ to the lost and dying world. May we not be ashamed and hide Jesus and hide our salvation to the world that's out there, but may we be proud to present the standard of Jesus Christ as a soldier going forth to battle, as somebody that would say, hey, listen, Jesus has arranged my life. He's assembled my life. He's, uh, he's, he's given me a purpose and association, and He's given me an agreement with Him uh, to follow Him. May we be proud to bear the standard. Listen, when you run into another Christian, I don't know about you, but it encourages me. I was out this week and I was passing out tracks. I ran into a fella, I gave him a track. I said, here, I'm leaving these at the doors. He was out in his yard and he said, oh, he said, what is it? I said, it's just a, a track from our church. He said, oh, he said, what church? And so I told him and, and he struck up a little conversation. And so I said, uh, I said, do you go to church anywhere? He said, yes, I do. And he told me another church. And it was just refreshing to know, hey, there's other Christians out there. It was a blessing to run. I, when you run into people on the street, you don't always run into, you know, you don't always run into Christian people. I ran into a Christian fella, and it blessed my heart. And I have no doubt that it blessed his heart to see there's somebody else out there carrying the standard into the world, getting the gospel to the lost and dying world. Are you bearing, are you a standard bearer of the Lord Jesus Christ? Maybe this morning we should ask, is Jesus your standard? Maybe you're rallying around something else. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's pleasure. Maybe it's something else in your life that you rally around. Maybe you've never... Saved. Maybe you've never been born again, but you would like to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. Listen, He can bring arrangement. He can order your life. He can bring association to the family of God. He can bring a, a agreement to the mind of God and, and all of those other things. He can help you have a place of assembly where you feel like you belong. If you'll, raise, if you'll make Jesus your standard and trust Him as your own personal Savior with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, the standard is the Savior. Are you a standard bearer? Father, we thank you for your word. God, every person in here ought to be a standard bearer for you. God, our cause is far greater than any cause on this earth because our cause is an eternal cause. And our standard is an eternal standard, that of Jesus Christ. 
And God, it will far outlast any nation of this world. It will far outlast any cause that this world may present. Because you are eternal. And your purpose will never end. God, I pray that you'd help us to be standard bearers. Help us to have the order in our life that you would desire us to have. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, the altar's open this morning. As you're standing to your feet, if God's spoken to your heart, are you being a standard bearer? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, I've never trusted Jesus Christ as my own personal Savior, but I'd like to. You, listen, you can put your faith and trust in Him and ask Him to save you. As the piano plays, the altar's open.